Please turn with me in the New Testament to 1 Peter chapter 1, reading together the opening nine verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. This is the Word of God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. May the Lord bless these readings of his word to us. Who were the people who wrote the Bible? Who did God call to record his precious life-giving revelation? Naturally, we'd think that God would choose people of impeccable character for such an important task. But such thinking is far from the truth. It can be shocking for us to discover how some of the authors of this inspired book failed God abysmally and publicly. The writer of this letter was a man who messed up big time. This guy didn't just make big mistakes, he also committed some terrible sins. Indeed, he's famous for a most despicable deed, for denying outright that he was a disciple of Jesus. I'm talking, of course, about Peter the Apostle, who was inspired to write these two letters in the Bible. We all know that Peter denied, denied three times in the most blatant manner, ever being a follower of Jesus. Yet still, Peter was chosen by God to record for us this precious part of his word. How come? Why did God choose Peter to pen this part of his revelation? Well, Peter was truly heartbroken over his despicable denials, and he repented of such grievous sin. And so the Lord Jesus totally forgave him, and the Savior showed everybody 
how he had fully pardoned Peter. After his resurrection, the Lord Jesus gave Peter a highly significant role in his precious church. Jesus told Peter to take care of his sheep. Well, some 30 years later, Peter penned this letter. About A.D. 33, sorry, 63, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words of heavenly wisdom. This epistle was part of Peter's ministry of caring for Christ's sheep. Peter himself tells us this over in chapter 5, verse 12 of this letter. 1 Peter 5, verse 12, he says there that he was seeking to do two things for his readers. He was out to encourage them in their Christian lives, and he also wanted to exhort them to stand fast in the grace of God in the midst of their sufferings. The first readers of Peter's letters were God's elect, scattered throughout a large area in Asia, which we now call Turkey. So Peter wasn't writing to a church in a specific city. Peter was corresponding with Christians spread out over a wide area. Why were these believers so scattered? They had encountered fierce persecution because of their faith in Jesus. So Peter was addressing believers who were suffering. These were Christians who were passing through hardships of many kinds, and they were confused and discouraged by their fiery trials. And what was more, their situation wasn't going to get any easier. They would soon face, in the providence of God, further grief. The deranged and depraved emperor Nero would turn on them. Nero would blame the Christians for the fire of Rome in A.D. 64, using them as a scapegoat. So Peter was deeply burdened for these scattered, suffering believers. And he wrote to comfort and strengthen them. He did this firstly by reminding them of the wonderful blessings of being in Christ. And this morning, we're going to look at the encouragement that Peter gave these early Christians in the opening two verses. Peter's words of divine wisdom and truth are wonderful comfort for Christ's people in every era and generation. This encouragement comes from the way that Peter describes you and me as believers in Jesus. Note four ways that Peter talks of his readers here. In a marvelous manner, he highlights who we are in Jesus. Yes, he highlights our identity in Christ. And as he does so, Peter mentions the saving work of each member of the Trinity. To start with, it's clear from what he writes here that we are those chosen by the Father. In amazing grace, we have been chosen by God the Father. 1 and 2, the opening verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. My Christian friend, the fact that you are a Christian is an absolute miracle. And this miracle all began with God. It began with the Lord of heaven, in that you were chosen by him. 
Yes, our Heavenly Father chose you in Christ even before he created the world. Ephesians 1 verse 4. And so this choice took place in the deep counsels of eternity. God our Father set his love upon you way back then in eternity past. It's absolutely phenomenal to think about. And it is utterly humbling. The eternal God elected you to be one of his children before the universe was formed by his word. You knew nothing about it, of course, until it was revealed to you in his word. Clearly, this election was not based on anything you had done, for you weren't even on the scene. And nor was God's choosing based on anything he saw that you would be. His choice of you was based solely on his grace to you. God set his love upon you because he set his love upon you. There is no other reason for it than that. It wasn't because God thought that you would be more deserving than others. God didn't reckon that you would be better than your fellow man. No, the person you are and the things that you have done never came into it. Of course, this is how it's always been with the Lord. Back in the Old Testament, he chose the people of Israel. Why? Well, just listen to what he said to them in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 8. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. Christian friends here today were chosen by God because we're chosen by God. The Lord loves us because he loves us. We can't explain it, for the Lord's decisions are unsearchable, and his ways are beyond our tracing out. And so you and I cannot unravel this tremendous truth, but we can and we should rejoice in it. Indeed, day by day, we are to delight in God's amazing grace in choosing us. Let's look more closely at Peter's wording here in verses 1 and 2. To God's elect, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now some commentators say that foreknowledge means that God merely knew ahead of time who would believe, and therefore on that basis God chose them. But in the Bible, to foreknow doesn't just mean to know ahead of time. In the Bible, to foreknow means to set one's love upon a person in a personal way. In Romans 8, verse 29, Paul used the word for no in this special sense. Paul wrote, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. So you see, in effect, Paul was saying, For those whom God set his love upon in a personal way, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. This also helps us to understand the well-known and much-loved words of Jesus our Savior in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. 
Jesus was saying, in effect, I'm the good shepherd, and I set my love upon my own. My sheep hear my voice, and I set my love upon them. So being elected according to the foreknowledge of God the Father is a most glorious reality. It means that we've been chosen simply because of God's astonishing grace, that he has set his love upon us in a personal way. What a cause for rejoicing for everyone who's born of his Spirit. Christian friends, our God does not allow things to happen by chance. We worship the God of heaven who is sovereign over every aspect of life, including our salvation. Jesus himself was chosen to be the Savior before the creation of the world. Well, we too have been chosen in him, in Jesus, before time began, simply because of God's astounding kindness to us. Yes, in his extraordinary grace, God has chosen us to be included in his saving purposes. God planned that we would be saved through bringing us to believe in his Son as our Savior. Christian friends, this should be very, very comforting for you and me to know. This should give you wonderful reassurance, even if a crisis comes crashing into your life, or you feel as if your circumstances are so cruel that they could crush you. Even before the sovereign Lord brought creation into being, he purposed to bring you, yes, you, into his family. From all eternity, El Shaddai, Almighty God, had you in mind. And the great Jehovah set his love upon you in a most personal manner. My fellow believer, whenever you feel deflated or defeated, keep reminding yourself of the true and living God's astonishing love for you. Whenever you feel alone or abandoned, think again upon our sovereign Lord's eternal and personal commitment to you. He's begun a good work in you, and he is 100% committed to bringing that work to completion. No matter what trials you're in the midst of, your loving Heavenly Father is with you, and he knows everything that you face. He's never caught out by the changes in your circumstances. Our covenant God is never surprised by your situation. He's in complete control over all that happens to you. Indeed, your sufferings in this world are part of his purpose for you. For he's chosen you to suffer for the sake of his name and for the glory of his Son. Think of the desperate plight of these first century exiles back in Peter's day. These first century Christians were hard-pressed refugees in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. But their suffering as refugees wasn't some tragic setback in God's plans for them. No, these Christian refugees were far from home at God's bidding. It was all part of God's providence and purpose for them, even though it was so difficult. The Lord had them in these different countries to bear witness for him. Our God of salvation desired churches to be established in those areas. So we can be 100% sure that nothing happens to us by chance, 
The King of heaven has his purposes in all that takes place. And for those he has chosen to be his children, God is working in absolutely everything for our spiritual good and growth and for his greater glory. And so, my fellow Christian, rejoice. In God's amazing grace, you have been chosen by him, your heavenly Father. But that's just the beginning, because look at what else Peter says about who we are as those who are born again. Along with having been chosen by the Father, we are also those who've been cleansed by the Son. As those who are saved by God's amazing grace, we've been cleansed by the blood of his Son. Look again at what Peter wrote in verses 1 and 2. To God's elect, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Now this takes us right to the heart of the gospel. For this takes us to the cross. It takes us to the very Son of God, sacrificing himself at Calvary to atone for our sins. Throughout the Bible, we hear about God's righteous wrath against our sin. God's word makes it clear. The Almighty is never neutral when it comes to our sin. The righteous Lord is never indifferent or unaffected by it. No, our sin is highly offensive to the holy God of heaven and calls him to fill with a righteous fury. And God responds to our unrighteousness with a holy anger. And he must punish our unrighteousness. All our sin must come under his fair and fearful judgment. Now this may leave you and me wondering, is there any hope for us? Well, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, the Lord says to us, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the laying down of a life, there is no forgiveness. For the wages of sin is death. That is what, that's what the shedding of blood speaks of, the laying down of a life. And so without the shedding of blood, there's no hope. Without the shedding of blood, there's no atonement or reconciliation between us and the Holy God of heaven. For us to be reconciled to the Holy One, there must be an atoning sacrifice. And as fallen human beings, we are totally incapable of rendering such an atoning sacrifice for ourselves. Our sinfulness makes it utterly impossible for us. Therefore, if you and I are to be reconciled to God, someone without sin must sacrifice themselves in our place. Someone sinless taking our place is absolutely essential. Someone without blemish to be our substitute is critical. Or else all is lost and we will remain forever condemned. Well, there's only one possibility, one possible substitute for you and for me, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. For the Lord Jesus alone lived a perfect, sinless life. Jesus alone was pure and without blemish. And so Jesus alone could give himself to die in the place of sinners like us. Well, in his incredible, incalculable love, that's precisely what Jesus Christ has done. 
before creation, God's Son agreed with his Father to be the Savior of his people. So even before Adam and Eve fell into sin, God the Father and God the Son had purposed that this is what would happen. They planned the way for sinners like us to be saved. They planned that God's own Son would be born into this rebellious fallen world to live a life of perfect obedience and to die a sacrificial death. And so the perfect Son of God stepped into our very, very imperfect world. And Christ set his face to go to the cross to shed his blood. That's why at the Last Supper, Jesus held up the cup of wine and said to his disciples, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many. Through the shedding of his blood, the salvation of God's people would be secured. And so no longer were God's people to be involved in sacrificing animals for their sin. They were now to rely solely upon the shed blood of the spotless Lamb of God to deal with their sin. My Christian friend here today, this is who you are. You are someone to whom God has been incredibly gracious. For you've been chosen by the Father to belong to his family. And you've been cleansed by the Son to be fitted for his family. As you worship God with his people here today, focus your thoughts and affections on the one who shed his very blood for you, who laid down his life for you, who endured the horror of hell for you upon the cross of Calvary. Pause and ponder on the one who's atoned for all of your sin, the one who had no sin was willing to become sin for you, so that you may be fully pardoned and completely cleansed in the sight of God, covered with his righteousness. And note that you're not only cleansed in Christ, Peter indicates here how you're also commissioned to walk in obedience. Verses 1 and 2 again, to God's elect for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. And so, my fellow believer, in Christ, you are washed of all your sinfulness that you may walk in his righteousness. What an identity you have as a Christian, chosen by the Father, cleansed and commissioned by the Son. As we join in worship together, let us pause and ponder on these tremendous gospel truths. Why are we able to approach God in his holiness today? Not because we are worthy in ourselves in some way. It's all been down to our God and his staggering grace. Our heavenly Father has chosen you and me to be here. Our selfless Savior has died for you and me so that we can be here. May all our attention be upon him. And may our hearts swell up with fresh delight and devotion and affection for our loving Lord and Redeemer. Chosen by the Father, cleansed and commissioned by the Son. If you've been brought into God's family through Jesus, this is your identity. And it's absolutely thrilling. And yet there's still more. For the Holy Spirit plays a vital part in our salvation as well. And Peter also points to his role in verse 2. Thirdly, we're reminded here that as Christ's people, we are set apart by the Spirit. 
set apart by the Spirit. Peter wrote in verses 1 and 2, to God's elect through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. To be sanctified means to be set apart. To be set apart for special use by God. Well, God the Father has chosen us in his grace, and God the Son has cleansed us by his blood, and God the Holy Spirit has set us apart from the world. And he's called us into the fellowship of his people. And he's called us to live lives dedicated to Jesus and to his church and his mission and his cause and his kingdom. And so we have been set apart to be holy, that is, to reflect Jesus in our everyday relationships and responsibilities. Our lives are to be very different from those of unbelievers. Think of the temple in the Old Testament. The temple was different from ordinary buildings. Why? Well, the temple was set apart for special use, for the worship of God. Think of the animals brought to the temple in the Old Testament. They were different from ordinary animals. Why? Well, they were holy, as in set apart for special use, to be sacrificed to atone for the sins of God's people back then. Well, now think of God's people themselves. All of us who've been converted to Christ are different from people who aren't converted. Why? We're not better in ourselves. We too are sinners by nature and practice, but we're different because we've been set apart by the Spirit. We're born of the Spirit and baptized by the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit indwells us. Our bodies are actually his temple. And so the Holy Spirit has called us to God's special service. And he set us apart for the most important work in the whole world, to spread the gospel of God's grace. And so we are different from unbelievers, not because we're better than them. We're different because God's called us out from this rebellious world through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And so, Christian friends, we have become saints. Saints are not special Christians who've performed a certain number of miracles and who've been canonized as Rome teaches. No, saints are ordinary Christian folk like us who make up the membership of any Bible-believing gospel church. Well, that is what the Holy Spirit has made us. Saints in Christ. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, as we worship God together, let's reflect upon our identity as believers in the Lord. Let's rejoice in our choosing by the Father, in our cleansing by the Son, and in our setting apart by the Spirit. And let's dedicate ourselves afresh to live lives which reflect the likeness of our Savior. In closing, note one other aspect of our identity that Peter highlights in these opening verses of his letter. Because we've been chosen, cleansed, and set apart by God, it is clear, too, that we are strangers in the world. Strangers in the world. This is exactly what Peter called his first readers in verse 1. To God's elect, strangers in the world, exiles of the dispersion. And then in chapter 2, verse 11, 
Peter reinforced this by calling them aliens or sojourners, as well as exiles and strangers in the world. Christian friends, most of us, I guess, are very familiar with the story of Pilgrim's Progress. Well, all of us who know Christ are pilgrims, for we are simply passing through this world. None of us are permanent residents here. This world is just a stepping stone into the world to come. For those of us who know Christ, we are heading home. For we're on our way to heaven, our eternal home. And this is so certain that Paul says that we are already citizens through faith in Christ. Well, like Abraham, our eyes of faith are to focus on our future home in glory. Even though we have homes in this world, around Newton Abbey or Valley Clare or other parts of North Belfast, and even though we're to carry out our daily work each day with diligence and care, and even though we're to bring up our children to the best of our ability, and even though we're to be good citizens, we do not belong to this world. This is not our real home. We will not dwell here for very much longer. This is not where we will spend eternity. And so we've got to be future-orientated as followers of Jesus. Our Savior himself tells us this in his instructions in the Lord's Supper. He said, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we're always to look forward to our Savior's return, as the Apostle John did on the island of Patmos. For when our Savior reappears, he will usher us into our final home, the new heavens and the new earth. Yes, my fellow believers, that is where we are heading to, the perfect new creation, the home of righteousness. And so as we head out into this new week, Let's be mindful of this. We are strangers in this world. And we're to have different priorities to people around us and different values and different standards because we're in a different kingdom, living under the King of Kings. For in his astounding grace, we've been chosen by the Father, cleansed and commissioned by the Son, and set apart by the Spirit to live for the glory of our King and for the advancement of his unshakable, unstoppable, eternal kingdom, and for the blessing and building up of his beautiful bride and church. May our God so help all of us. Let us join together in prayer. O Lord God Almighty, great and gracious Father in heaven, we rejoice in who you are, and we rejoice in your glorious gospel. We thank you, O God, for your precious Son, our Redeemer, and his atoning sacrifice for us that has turned away your wrath so that we no longer need to fear the day of wrath to come, but that we can look forward with eager anticipation to the return of our King and to the ushering in of the new creation as we are clothed with our resurrection bodies. O God in heaven, enable us to be future-orientated 
as followers of Jesus. Enable us to live each day in this world in the light of what lies before us. And help us to make the most of every opportunity you give us to glorify Jesus and to do good to others, especially to those in the family of God. Our Father, we thank you for how we can remember our fellow believers elsewhere and we remember especially before you today, Vincent and Elizabeth. We thank you for how you've guided them to serve you in Limerick. We rejoice in the provision of their new home, which seems so suitable. We thank you, Father, for the, the fellowship that they're enjoying with believers from different parts of the world, united in the gospel and in the spirit. We thank you for their eagerness to share the gospel and to invite visitors to their services. We pray that you'll grant them what they need concerning larger, suitable premises. We pray you'll bless Vincent in the preparation and preaching of your word and that it will be used wonderfully in edifying your people and in converting the lost. We pray, Father, that you'll bless him as he visits members and others connected with the fellowship in the past and that you'll open up many opportunities for gospel witness across this needy city. Father, we pray for your blessing too upon Warren and Ruth and the girls as they're preparing to go to Galway in the near future. Continue to undertake for them day by day. And we remember, Father, our congregation here in Trinity as we look forward to the church weekend and to Andrew Little being with us. We pray that you'll guide Andrew in his preparation for the messages, messages he'll bring from your word. May your spirit fill him and lead him, grant him health and strength and much encouragement. Father, may it be a weekend which is greatly blessed and a great blessing to everyone involved, young and old. May it be a time of strengthening of the bonds of fellowship together. And may you be strengthening your people in every way, the elders, the deacons, and the members alike. Father, we pray for these events that have been planned for the, the opening of the new premises in Nantes. And we ask that you'll use them in making the gospel known in that great city. We pray for local church leaders joining with Andrew and the fellowship on the 4th of November, that that will be a special time together. And we ask especially for the receptions for the neighbors and those involved in the work that your gospel will go forth, that the light of Christ will break forth in the darkness of the thinking of these dear people, and that they'll read the gospel literature, and that they'll be brought to seek Christ while he may be found, and to call upon you while you are near. And we pray for the opening, official opening on the 3rd of December, that that too will be a, a day of great honor for Christ and blessing for all who gather. Father, we pray that you will prosper your work in Nantes for the glory of Jesus and the advance of his kingdom. And Father, we pray for your blessing upon all who are serving here in Belfast and ask that in our own city that the kingdom of God will advance and that so many who are lost in darkness will be brought into the kingdom of light 
through the witness of your people and their gospel being at work. In the name of Jesus we ask. Amen.